The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and this is episode number 69. And we're back in the spirits category today with Chris Montana. He is the co-founder of Dunord Spirits with his wife. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Your wife's name, did you say you told me your wife's name, and I can't remember it. What is your wife's name? Because I want to make sure we give her credit, too. Absolutely. It is Chanel Montana. Okay, so Chanel and you are the co-founders of Denord Spirits. You have a couple of kids. I just, the idea that you both started a business together with kids and that whole ball of wax is really impressive to me. So let's start. Before 2013, when the Surly law changed or the distilling law changed that allow you to mm-hmm. distill, what were you doing in your business? Um, well, at that point, we didn't have the distillery. The distillery sure. was an idea. Um, I was working as an attorney. Okay. Um, and my wife was doing then what she does now, working in renewable energy. Okay. So renewable energy, you're an attorney, and what made you decide, like, hey, let's make some gin? <laughs> uh, well, funny, I said, hey, let's make some whiskey. Um, but if, as you know, with craft distilleries, you have to make something that's unaged. And I thought, well, I suppose that's going to have to be vodka. But the rule for the distillery is we only make what we like. And Chanel's a big gin fan. And so she was the one who said, we're going to make some gin. But, you know, the the, the the naissance of it all was I used to brew a lot. Okay. A lot of beer. That was kind of my, my chill out activity for yep. about 14 years. And I thought that I was going to open a brewery one day, uh, maybe possibly, but, you know, never really put anything into action. But when I looked at the brewery landscape, I thought, you know, there are so many breweries and they're not really making, and people aren't consuming the kind of beer that I want to make anyway. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to start a business that where no one's going to want what you make. Uh, I always wanted to make my own whiskey. And, you know, I I think because I'm still somewhat shocked that Chanel went along with this, but um, because uh, she grew up on the farm and she had the farm connection and we knew we had a source of grain right there that we could control, that we could be a part of, and we wanted to bridge this kind of urban-rural divide. I think that you put all those things together with my passion for brewing and, and for whiskey, and you know the, the basic elements of Denord were right there. So you had had this idea in your head, and you can't just – whiskey needs to be aged, and there's barrels and other things that come into play. So a lot of these distilleries in the Twin Cities started with vodka, gin. Um, tell me – so you guys decide that you're going to do it. Did you have a, a number in mind like, okay, we're going to invest $20,000 and no more than that? or Because you were also – had you were you starting your family at the same time? Yeah. Um, and to all the entrepreneurs out there, I don't know if this is exactly how I would recommend doing it because when we – so 2013 is the beginning of Dunord. Uh, November of 2013 is also when our first child showed up. Okay. Um, and there have been two more since then. And so now we have what is still a, 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 
a startup, I suppose. You know, we're under five years. Yep. Um, and we have two kids under four or three kids under four years old. One of we have a four month old at home right now. Yep. Um, and so yeah, and not she's still working in her job in renewable energy. Yeah, thank God somebody has to have a real job. Well, and I was wondering about that because I didn't realize that she also had another job. But I thought, mm-hmm. wow, you have two young, uh, three young kids. Two young people, parents, and both working in this business full time. So that helps me understand it a little bit because, frankly, mm-hmm. most entrepreneurs do need someone to carry the health benefits while things are getting going. Yeah, very true. And I honestly don't think we would still be here um, if we both had just completely jumped off the cliff. I mean, yep. I did. And that's because we reached a point where we kind of realized that, you know, we weren't going to be able to do this without being a little terrified. And uh, it made more sense for me to leave my job than for her to leave hers. Um, and so, you know, that that was a decision we had to make. But but for the fact that she's been doing double and triple duty, I don't think that, that we would have made it this far. So you have a, a tap room. You have the La Atoile. Is that how you say it? Yeah. So here here's your, your Minnesota, like, trivia. Because if you can't tell, if you look at our, our brands and everything, we're Minnesota files, right? We kind of yep. like where we live. Um, winter's my favorite season, um, so I'm in the right place. But our first product, our vodka, we thought, we're like, hey, let's let's give it a name that everyone in Minnesota is going to know, right? Um, and so we picked the Minnesota State motto, right, which is La Toile du Nord. And uh, apparently no one knows what the Minnesota <laughs> State motto is no! because <laughs> cause everyone would come up to us and be like, what's up with all this French nonsense? And like, well, first of all, you're in a former French territory. Look at the names of, you know, two-thirds of the cities. I had streets, no idea about that whatever. either. Yeah, it's on our flag. So there you it's go. On the Minnesota State I love seal. it. The Toile du Nord, the star of the north. Yep. And then the second product is Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald for F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, native Minnesotan. Um, I live right across books. from where he and, grew up. Yeah, he didn't really seem to like Minnesota very much. No, he didn't live now. here long. And so, you know, <laughs> we, can, we can say whatever we want about him. Uh, and then do you have other products in the making? Yeah. So in addition to um, the order went Latoile, then uh, Fitzgerald, then we came out with Apple de Nord, which is mm-hmm. an apple liqueur, uh, fairly high proof and I would say somewhat Very dangerous. Um, and then Cafe Frida. So the Frida, Apple de Nord just means apple of the north. And, um, but uh, Cafe Frida is our coffee liqueur, which we made with coffee from Peace Coffee and also some roasted chicory root. I didn't even know uh, you had that. Oh, yeah. And that's another dangerous one. Yeah, uh, I get a little dangerous with coffee liqueurs, I can't lie. Like the Patron coffee liqueur I've been banned from bringing home. I will <laughs> place a wager today that if you go try some Cafe Frida, you will be converted. And I, that will be your coffee liqueur. I, I feel bad. I've, I should have brought some. No, but, it's all right. Um, that one's actually named after a high school teacher of mine. You know, And we do a thing in the cocktail room. Um, it's the only discount that we have, but we give teachers a $2 discount on everything every day. Wow. And, that's a huge discount for if you're a teacher. Yeah. Well, I think teachers need it. Yeah. And they're the only heroes I know by vocation. The only people who, just by virtue of, you know, you could do all these different things, but you chose to be a teacher. Um, so basically, you're not going to get any of the credit, but you're going to get all of the blame, but you're going to do some of the, the <laughs> most right. important work in our society. Uh, those people deserve a break. And so I think they also need a drink. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> we, we've, we, uh, we have that discount. When we were going to name that product, uh, well, I want to name it after a teacher, and so I just picked my favorite teacher from high school. 
I like it. And whiskeys are just hard because they do require so much aging. Is that something you'll do, do you think, down the road? Yeah, and we'll actually be coming out with a whiskey soon. Okay, um, so it's been aging. Yeah, it has. And we've, you know, we put stuff away in barrels when we first started. And, you know, now it's it's all over two years old. And we really wanted to be able to sit on the whiskey for a while mm-hmm. and really let it, you know, whiskey is not a finished product off the still. It's it's not like a vodka where you take it off yeah. the still, you add water and go, right? Whiskey is not about a finished product. It's about creating the pieces of a finished product and then letting the aging process take hold and turn those pieces into a better product. And if you go a little too early with it, it's it's pretty noticeable. And so we wanted to wait. So we did. And we finally reached a point where we said, all right, now we've got some of the whiskey that we that we enjoy. That you we like. We want to put it out there. Who does um, your bottle, your packaging? Because it's pretty beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, it started, I first of all, I take absolutely no credit at all. Um, I had very little to do with it. Started with um, there's a, a guy named Chris Frost who used to live in Minnesota. Now he's out in California, um, and he was working with Chanel. And Chanel, you know, we we kind of knew that we were going to be you know, the craft beer scene. And here's where I'm going to start to get myself into trouble. But the the craft beer scene wasn't always that open uh, for women. And, for sure. Um, you know, and you can tell that both by who works there, who owns them, who runs them, but also who goes there. Yep. And we had it in our heads that we wanted to kind of go a different direction and, and speak to that population that we thought craft really hadn't been speaking to. And so we wanted something that had a little bit more of a classic feel. Um, and I, I don't know that I would describe our labels as feminine, I was um, thinking they but, are a little. But we we intentionally, that, that was our message to the designer. We said we want something that is classic with a feminine touch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there are some, you know, there's some more curved lines in there. there you know, it's 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 meant to be a, a classy label. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that that's Chanel and that's Chris kind of putting their heads together and, and figuring it out. We went through a lot of different variations to land on that. I like it. When you think about, so you have these products that are being sold in liquor stores and also you have this tap room. It's kind of like having two businesses. Absolutely. So which of the businesses makes more money? So right now the cocktail room is, uh, that kind of leads the charge. That's what I thought. And, you know, nationally we're starting to see more of a, that's that's becoming the norm. Really, that um, the cocktail rooms are supporting the brands. Yeah, in mm-hmm. states where they are legal. Yep. And you know we have um, when we started, and this this is kind of just a quirk of Minnesota. That trend had started before any of the micro distilleries started in Minnesota. Um, but because when we started, a cocktail room was not yet legal. Mm-hmm. Right. That was um, if there's if there's anything if we leave any mark on on craft distilling, it'll be my wife Chanel. Uh, she was leading the charge. She was the first president of the Distillers Guild, and they were the ones that got that law changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you couldn't do that when we started. So the only model was a distribution model. You had to figure that if we were going to make any money at all, it was going to be selling this at about a little less than half of what people see it on the shelf for. Mm-hmm. And that is a very tough business to be in. 
It's not designed for small producers. It is very much designed for huge producers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that time period was definitely a struggle. And but for the cocktail room, you know, Denord would have ceased to be a long time ago. Yeah, because it really kind of changed the business model in some respects. When you when you were out there, did you have to like go and call on the Certix of the Worlds or did you go to Johnson Brothers and try to get a distiller or excuse me, not a distiller, a distributor? Well, you know, this is um, this is another thing because I, I probably talk to new or prospective distillers every week. Mm-hmm. It used to be that I talked to ten a week because um, they just call you and they want to pick your yeah, brain. They stop and, by and yeah. they, they go on a tour. They've got you know seven questions too many, and you're like, okay, I get it. You know, just <laughs> be upfront. I'm fine with it. Um, I'm all about new people getting into this. I just want them to have their eyes open. Um, but one thing I tell them is I. I I'm not the best guy to talk to about distribution. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons for that is that, you know, we started, we went from zero to 60. I mean, I, I went from the idea of doing it in February of 2013 to having a lease in August and, you know, we were buying equipment. Right. And uh, one of the reasons why we did that is because we knew that we weren't going to have the money to compete and be able to market. So we had to get out there fast. One of the advantages of getting out there fast is that when we started, there were, no, I mean, we were the first ones to go through the licensing process in Minneapolis. Yep. You know, we did a lot of things first, like the cocktail room first. But getting distribution wasn't as tough because the distributors thought, hey, here's a, here's a, we want to get in on this. And because of a quirk in Minnesota law, um, craft, craft distilleries can be very profitable for distillers, for distributors, more so than any other alcohol. Mm-hmm. Because in Minnesota, you can't have a monopoly. Right on anything that's imported, um, but you can't have a monopoly on something that's made here. And because there weren't all that many producers making anything here, that didn't really matter. But once the craft distillery showed up, now you've got the distributors saying, "Hey, you know, we can actually turn a profit on this as opposed to selling Grey Goose or something, which we have to sell at the same price as every other uh, distributor." Right. So that wasn't hard for us. Um, we had a number of distributors approaching us. And, you know, we picked the one that we felt was going to work best for us and what we wanted to do. But now uh, I know that people who are coming into it, you know, they're they're like, how do you get distribution? And I'm like, I honestly don't know. And there's a lot of you. saturation at the liquor store level. I mean, you walk into a Certix and there's the store's only so big and there's so many SKUs and a lot. They want to have a lot of local presence and carry as many as they can. But it's challenging. Well, at some point, I mean, how many vodkas can you and you have, I mean, like it's, and and we, we're just at this tiny, tiny slice of the market. Right. You know, most of the vodka being sold in Minnesota, not going to come from a craft distillery, right? The overwhelming majority, like 99% of it, not going to come from a craft distillery. Right. But yes, there are a number of liquor stores out there that, you know, that are great stores. They want to support local. Certix is a, a good one, you know, Zips, Elevated Spirits, yep, a lot of sure. scents and wine, like a lot of these places, um, now I'm going to get in trouble. You should never list, right? France 44. All, the, uh, all we'll these different places, going. right? Yeah, we, we, they know who they I'll are. I'll throw some in later, right? Um, but have been great supporters of craft, but they still have to turn a profit. Yes. And, you know, we are, we have, as of last legislative session, we have 21 uh, active distilleries in Minnesota. You look at a state like Washington that has well over 150 and without having a population any bigger than ours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, out there, you cannot get distribution, period. It just because it they've they've reached a point where yeah. it's, it's just not even reasonable anymore. 
I think that we're also getting there. Um, and that kind of speaks to the need for craft distilleries to do what craft distilleries do best, which is make new weird stuff, right? And it's hard to be that new and that weird with products that everybody knows, like that people understand as being fungible, like a vodka. Yep. Right. But weird whiskey, right? You know, that's wide open. I'm still waiting for someone to to start making a lot of brandy Mm -hmm. in this state. Um, Is Jay Carver, I mean, they're doing some. Yeah, and they they actually have a number of, and they've done very well. They've, you know, racked up a bunch of awards. I'm on the board of the ACSA, and so I get to go to all these. uh, American. Oh, sorry. The American Craft Spirits Association. Got it. Um, And uh, we run a competition, and so I've actually had an opportunity to taste a lot of their stuff and a lot of other folks' stuff, and um, just my, between us and uh, Tattersall and Jay Carver, we've actually uh, made quite a dent on the national scene. Yeah, for and I sure. I take a, a ton of pride in that. Because you've won two silvers, or did you won a gold and a silver? Yeah, so we've, um, you know, ACSA, that's one. Th- so we've won, uh, what, three gold medals for our vodka, including a best in class, and we've won two gold medals for our gin. Uh, everything that we sell has won a medal. Um, but you know, I, you can't drink metals. Um, ultimately it comes down to whether or not you like it. Um, but, uh, you know, this last year, um, we had the best vodka in class, Mm -hmm. um, and Tattersall had the best gin in the class. And I think Jay Carver won a gold in whiskey. And so there's only five categories. And so we won best in class for 40% of the categories in the nation coming from a state that's only been in my for four years. I think that's pretty slick. It is pretty slick. You are doing something a little bit different in your craft room in that you talk about bringing more women into the fold. You talk about bringing more minorities to the table. Mm-hmm. Tell me about why that is important to you. And is that just who you are as a human? And you just kind of decided, hey, this is important to me to bring other people along with me. When I look at your website, you know, you have a lot of women involved. Well, um, it is kind of who we are and, um, this industry, you know, to put it bluntly is just overwhelmingly white and male. There's a lot Um, of beards. There's a lot of beards. Yep. And some of my best friends are bearded white guys. I have no problem with them. Right. Um, but that also can create a culture um, where some people don't feel that welcome mm-hmm. and they don't feel like uh, the industry is for them either as a career opportunity or even as products that they want to consume. And, you know, we have a lot of breweries in the state, and if you look at some of the marketing for some of them, they're clearly not that interested in reaching out to to women at all. Right. Um, it seems to be that they're trying to do the exact opposite, and that's not just a Minnesota thing. That's nationwide. Yep. And that's just because eventually you, you create this this homogenous culture that doesn't look outside of itself. And with Denord, I mean, I'll tell you, of the black-owned distilleries in the nation, um, I'm there's another guy starting one up in Arkansas. And, you know, I'm pretty happy about it because then there will be two of <laughs> there's us. There's another right? guy. Yeah. Um, and there's 1,600 distilleries, Right. So when you have 1,600 distilleries and two of them are owned by, you know, not just people of color. There are many other people of color, but just two black guys right. in distilleries. I mean, that's okay. You know, it seems like there's something going on there. And that is a multi-layered, you know, 
uh, issue. It's not it's not just about sure. you know access or whether or not the the industry is open, but it does suggest that there's something going on. And so my approach is is not to say, look, we're only going to hire brown people or we're only going to hire women, mm-hmm. right? My approach is to say, I want to make sure that women and brown people know that they are welcome, right? And that this is a place for them. And if they want to come work here, I'd love to have them. And if they want to come have a drink here, I'd love to have them too, right? And I think that that, that starts to change even the products that you make. I'll give you an example if you don't mind me running into the No, because I was going to say, is that enough? Because well, like a lot of people will say like, oh, I'm very welcoming and I, you know, my friends are African-American. And yet when you stand at their door and look around at their business and the people sitting in their business and the way that people are welcomed into the establishment, it may not ring true. Yeah. Well- Personally, I think you have to you have to do everything that's within your power, and uh, I'll be the first one to say there's nothing fair about that, right? And when I look at other people's businesses, I don't pretend to tell them what they should do, mm-hmm. right? Because I get it. You know, if you're running a small business, you're already haggard, right? Right. To if if you're making ends meet with the population that you got, it's pretty hard to say I'm going to do this extra work, which may not yield me much in the way of return, right? Um, but you know, I, I look at our business as an opportunity to do a little bit of good. And both Chanel and I have always looked at it that way. Which is kind and, of ironic, considering it is the alcohol business, which for many years was sort of like the devil, right? Yeah. I mean, if if you're going to be the evil, evil empire, you might as well do you know a couple <laughs> good deeds here or there. Sure. Right? Um, and I hope that, you know, the best thing for me is if we... Whenever we're done with Denord or, you know, we're in old age, we can look back at all these other distilleries for people who had started with us. Yeah. Right. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, it's a, it's a two-sided issue because it's not just, all right, so there aren't that many of me. Okay. Um, there aren't that many head brewers or uh, head distillers anywhere. Right. Um, that it just it's certainly not proportionate to the population. Right. There are a number of women out there and- who are amazing distillers. Some of the some of the people that I look up to the most because they know so much more than me that I always keep my mouth shut around them because I know <laughs> I'm going to say something stupid and I'm going to lose their respect um, are some women who are scattered around the country and they've been doing it for a long time. And they typically get annoyed when you, when people say, oh, there are no women in distilling. They're like, no, we're here. It's just nobody's paying any attention. Right. Right. Um, and they're quietly making some of the most award-winning spirits in the country. Um so that getting people into the actual technical side is one thing. And that's something I feel like I'm uniquely positioned to do because I own a distillery and I can, you know, yep. I can bring people into the process. The other side of it, though, is who's consuming. And the easiest way to fill staff with, you know, women and, and people of color is if that's your actual market. And that, I think, is the harder nut to crack. Because we've been in operation, we've had the cocktail room open since January 9, 2015. Um, the population that we serve in there is overwhelmingly white women. Yeah. And, you know, we've either through Facebook marketing and th- through other means, you know, tried to reach out. Um, and it's slowly starting to change. It's slowly starting to get a little more more diverse in there. But that's that's who we serve. Right. Right. So 
how do you how do you not only say all right well this is a welcoming place for you to come and work but how do you reach into a population that has not looked that isn't even looking at your industry and say come in and be a customer of mine and on such probably razor thin budgets i mean you're just a small business person so you talk about marketing you have your p1s your P2s and your P3s, you know, you're still a long way from getting into probably being able to market to anybody other than your core person because yeah. you just don't have the depth and the funds to do that. Yeah, and time. Yeah. You know, it's it's the it's the resource that we have the least of and you know, you can't get back and I mean, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head and this is the problem that if I were to go talk to any given distillery owner in the country, they'd all say, "Yeah, we we want these folks to mm-hmm. come into the fold," and we they all they all want it. I mean, we're not bad people as an industry, right? I mean, we're not trying to keep anyone out necessarily. Yep. It's just, do we have the resources to bring them in? And that comes to a capacity and commitment issue. And there are a lot of people who may have some commitment, but not a lot of capacity. I think we have a lot more commitment than we have capacity, and mm-hmm. that's why we are more active in it. Um, but it costs us. Yeah, and it feels I I I don't know if it's because you're an African American man sitting across from me talking to me about your business that this even keeps I'm sure this feels like it comes up. Like why do you have to be the person that is taking this on for the entire industry? But everything about your business from your family to the way that you talk about diversity and talk about bringing women into the fold. I mean, it really it's on your website. It feels like it's in your packaging. It really does feel authentic to that your wife and you have this mission to try to do the best you can in this arena. It is. I mean, there are a couple of things that we would like to do with Denord. First of all, we'd like to make good booze. Yes. Right. So that matters. Um, my wife grew up on a farm in the middle of Minnesota, Cold Spring, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And uh, the divide between urban and rural is a big deal for us. And doing what we can to bridge that. And so mm-hmm. that's why, you know, you go to our website, you'll see pictures of the farmers. We're literally bringing that product straight from the farm. Bring to, the to glass. Yep. Yeah. Um, wherever we can. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's something that, that we try to work on, that we try to be active on. Um, it doesn't make our booze taste any better, right, on the yep. shelf, right? So for people who are looking to go that extra layer, they can find that out about us. Um, the same is true for trying to diversify not just the the producer side but also the consumer side of craft um i think it's i think it's a, i think we make good products i think there's really good beer being made in this state i think it's a good time to be somebody who drinks alcohol mm-hmm. in minnesota because there's a lot of different producers not everyone's making great stuff but a lot of them are mm-hmm. right and it's a bummer to think that there's a whole population that just isn't involved in that right and why is that? Because I mean, it's got to really be a good cool reason movement. for that. And if and if you can't say, oh well, it's you know, if 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 people of color just didn't drink, then you say, well, that's easy, but that's yeah. not true. So I think that it then becomes incumbent upon you to do something about that, right? So we're trying to do that. One of the nice things about about being a little more open minded about this, when I, I talked before about, you know, what craft does well is doing stuff that's different, you know, making weird booze. Yep. Um, you know, we have we have opportunities to make things that people haven't necessarily wrapped their hands around. I mean, we didn't get into this business because the whiskey that was out there was so bad. The whiskey that was out there before craft was great. Right? Uh, it's we're not we're not the brewers. We're not solving the same problem that they had. There was bad beer. They made good beer. Right? 
Um, there's already good spirits out there. What craft can do is make and make available to people some of the newer things that they haven't necessarily gotten their hands on. Um, Eleven Wells over in St. Mm-hmm. Paul makes uh, rum agricole. Right, most people have even rum drinkers will not have had agricole rum. Right, right. It's a completely different thing. You know, it's grassy. It's like straight cane juice. That's a different experience. It's a new thing that they can bring. We're making an Ethiopian whiskey, right, with teff flower and geisha leaves. I mean, I can guarantee you. I mean, I've I've talked to a lot of distillers who've been doing this for twenty years. They've never even heard of the stuff. Right. The only reason why I know that it exists is because in our effort to be a little more open, right. We went out and we brought people into, we looked at our community and we brought people in that represented that community. Some of those people happened to be Ethiopian and that's how we got connected to say, hey, this product is out there. Yep. And so I had a guy bring me a bottle of this stuff that was made over a campfire by a woman in a village in Ethiopia. And I've got a bottle of it sitting in my shop and I tasted it. I said, no one has ever had anything like this before. We have got to make this booze. That to me is, you know, if you... There's the there's the kind of feel good side of diversity, but there's the business side of it too. Sure. Which is that when you actually broaden the base of people that you're talking to and engaging with your business, you're also going to broaden your understanding of what's out there and what people want. And there's a whole population that knows this spirit, can't get it. Yeah. Unless they go to Ethiopia. And so we have an opportunity to bring something to people that's new and different, not just an Ethiopian community, because that's not that's not the point. The point is to create something for everyone. And make a new weird spirit. Can you make a recommendation? We're getting ready to wrap up here, but if someone comes and sits in your craft room, what should they order? Uh, so uh, this this is the the lawyer in me. Every answer starts with it depends, right? But so it depends. It depends on what you dig. Um, I would, if you're a gin drinker, then I would I'd keep it pretty simple. Um, our gin and tonic, which is a, is a little more fancy, we have like, drunken cherries in it and things like that. But I think that's one of the most solid drinks that we have. Mm-hmm. We also make a gin old fashioned. You make your but, own tonic? Uh, we do not. And I'll, I'll tell you my my hint on that is uh, when I was going out and getting cultured on gin, right? Because it was the wife was the one drinking the gin, right? So I was the one who had to make it. So I had I bought all the gin I could find. I found that you know most gin and tonics I could make just taste like tonic. Yep. And so if you are going to go out and make a nice tonic, buy cheap gin because that's what you're going to taste is a tonic. But if you're going to make, if you're going to get a good gin, get cheap tonic because you don't want the tonic to take over the gin. You want the gin to be leading the story. And so, so yeah, we use a pretty baseline tonic because we want, we want Fitzgerald to be coming through and it's made to be a big, bold, powerful gin. So that way it'll stand up through that. Yep. Um, the gin old fashioned is one of those weird drinks. If you think about it, you can't make an old fashioned with gin, but you definitely can, and it's pretty tasty. Um, we have uh, a not very interesting name, but um, the dude, right? Which is our the big our, Lebowski. Yeah, it's straight out of Lebowski. I had that movie basically on repeat. While you got to keep in mind, the first year of this distillery, it was just me in a room, right? There were no <laughs> other people. You get a little crazy. Um, but uh, that's our Cafe Frito with a little bit of vanilla and some cream. I was going to say that's yeah. your white Russian, healthy. as it were. Yeah. It's, it's not healthy in any way, shape, or form, but it's pretty damn tasty. Um, we have been talking to uh, Chris Montana. Uh, him and his wife are the owners of Denord Distillery and Spirits. It is at 2610 East 32nd Street in Minneapolis.
We have to have you back on our food show because I feel like we just sort of scraped the surface of your business and you're doing something that's different than other people. So it's been fun to talk to you. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you excited about like when you look ahead, is there growth, big growth coming 2017, 18? Um, I think there's going to be moderate growth okay. in the distillery sphere. I also think that you're there's a as good a chance as you're going to see five more distilleries as you're going to see five less. Yeah. I think you know? that's probably true, too, and potentially in the brewery space, too. Yeah, I think it's almost a certainty in the brewery yeah, space. Yeah, I would agree with you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me.